Welcome to another episode of Tenacity with your host, Sonia. Today, my guest is Andres Klarik, the co-founder of Fuse, a fintech VC-backed startup disrupting the lending industry with their loan original system. The platform is already live and pushing the boundaries of innovation. Fuse helps top lending companies optimize operations. In this episode, we will navigate the challenges he faced as a co-founder and what led them to change business direction and pivot from B2C to B2B space. Welcome, Mar, uh, Andres, how are you? Hey, Sonia, how are you? Thanks for having me over. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited about our conversation. I love tech. You love tech. FinTech, let's do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so um, let, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what inspired you to co-found Fuse? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Bolivia. I was born in Tennessee, but I was raised my entire life in Bolivia. I guess uh, from an early age of my, my life, I've been exposed to entrepreneurs and like uh, technology. Uh, but I think like the the my 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 original love was the auto industry. My grandpa was a race car driver. My dad has worked in the auto industry for a while. So when the opportunity came uh, to be an entrepreneur, the first area of business that I wanted to disrupt was kind of like, naturally something served in the auto sector. Uh, and, and aside from the auto sector, I had been in Wall Street uh, for 10 years. So I wanted to be at that intersection between like uh, finance and, and, and automotive uh, uh, markets. And that's how how we landed into that space. Um, I met my co-founder at Harvard eight years ago and decided to join forces. I, I convinced him that I, I I thought that the lending space for consumer was ripe for disruption. And that's how, how we started kind of the uh, predecessor to Fuse. Okay. So did you have like a tech background? Like no. how did you how did you and him meet? Uh, we met during uh, in grad school. He he's my he's he leads all technical and like uh, product stuff. So you can say that he's like the like the the yeah the, 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 the tech the tech geek so to speak. You're the idea guy. We're both idea people, right? <laughs> but I, I I cannot for the love of God like just do all the the, the technical stuff. So I lead all the business the, the partnerships team like the legal. Uh, finance side of the house, right? And 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 kind of like investor relations, uh, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what, how we divide and conquer work. Uh, there's there's plenty. You 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 need both sides. You need the customers. You need the product, right? So it uh, splitting the roles that way has been extremely accretive for us. Great. So can you tell me or explain a little bit about Fuse's uh, loan system and how it works? Yeah. So in a nutshell, there's like three uh, separate kind of modules within our, our system. Like the first one, it's kind of like uh, the way I explained to my mother is akin to like an app store, right? Like in order for you to orchestrate a loan, there's multiple, there are multiple vendors or software providers or data providers that you need to coordinate. So we have the equivalent of that app store that enables the bank, the, the lender to, to actually say, hey, for this type of lending, I want to use these vendors and orchestrated with this vendor. So we are that kind of orchestration layer and we have, we give them access to more vendors that they actually need. But that customer choice is what sets us apart, right? Like not being married to any single vendor, but like really giving our, our, our lenders the opportunity to pick whichever they see fit for their own strategy. Second is uh, 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 the local no-code platform, right? In essence, like being able to make changes without 
being overly dependent on engineers is very important, right? Like otherwise you're effectively uh, running a consulting shop versus a tech shop. Uh, the power of our platform and what has increased so much adoption is the fact that like non-technical teams feel empowered. They feel that they can contribute in a space that before they, they had to kind of delegate everything to engineers. And if they didn't have the engineers in-house, they had to pay for those engineers uh, from, from the tech vendors that they utilize, right? So in our case, it's hey, like, there you go. This piece of software actually enables you to have that freedom. And last but not least is dashboards, right? Like dashboards, they reflect their your day-to-day operations, right? If you're someone checking funding, if you're verifying identities, if that whatever the role you have within the lending organization should be reflecting your day-to-day dashboard versus having something that's like a kitchen sink that you have to be trained for. If it, if your dashboard is customized to your needs, your training needs uh, are limited and therefore you can run much faster, you can add value. So those three categories I think are uh, what, were, what set us apart in the marketplace today. Okay. Um, so how is use disrupting a traditional lending system and its impact on both lenders and the borrowers? Yeah, uh, on, on the lender side, it's just the fact that like we allow them to automate. And I think if they, whenever they, they use technology, they are able to like automate, but like, it's not a black box automation. It's like, think about it, that like they can actually use insights to, to make that automation continuous, right? That means that like, once they are set up, it's not that they are like, oh, the fewest folks helped me set up and uh, that's the way that the, the lender is going to be run for the next 20 years. It, it, we just set them up at a base and they can actually ch- change and, and, and really like let their imagination fly or what the flexibility they, they want in that system to be, which is huge, right? Because well, the other solutions that they have is like they, they have the machine, they set it once and like they cannot change anything, right? It's kind of like the same process run in perpetuity without any changes, right? So that's kind of on the lender side in terms of like the, the value, uh, the, the kind of the, the brand promise. Uh, on the borrower side, what the way that they see it is like it's a much more delightful experience, right? It, it's minimized keystrokes. It's it, it's really like uh, being able to uh, to get uh, uh, approvals without like, getting a hard pull, in, 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 at least in the context of the US, it enables them to like upload documentation from their phones enables them to like uh, shop around for rates in a much more efficient way. And ultimately the most important thing is if the lenders become more efficient, that means that their costs go down. If their costs go down, that enables them to approve the marginal borrower. So as a borrower, it increases ultimately, like if you're a qualified uh, borrower, you're most likely going to benefit from the fact that like banks are more efficient because they can actually lend to that marginal borrower that they've been told no, because it's too expensive to perhaps vet them or check or, or, or being offered the type of solutions that today they're seeking for. Okay, so what were some of the challenges you faced while developing the application? I mean, uh, technical components a lot, right? But it, it, that, that, that is something that on a day-to-day basis, uh, it's different. Uh, I, I am not an engineer, but I can tell you like there's a, there are a lot of multi-factoring things that need to be changed. I would say like the universe of vendors, really getting them used to the fact that like creating choice was beneficial was something that like also took time. And frankly speaking, uh, the customers themselves, um, uh, kind of convincing them that like their current uh, 
the current provider is, is something they can replace because they, they've been led to believe for years that it's like a massive undertaking and it's going to take forever. That, that type of stuff, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it takes time and building that trust in that relationship is something that we pride ourselves. And, and it's a combination of building a great product, uh, having uh, a unique perspective in the fact that we started as a direct-to-consumer brand, right? And, mm-hmm. we, and before we pivot in, we, we, we actually use the tool that we sell today to lenders it's a tool that we use ourselves to grow a, a B2C business. So we have, a, uh, I would say, a differentiated and unique view in the sense that we have a, a level of empathy that only being a user of the product gives you. So as a consumer, um, traditionally, the way to buy a car, because you started out in the automotive space, yeah. so I'm just going to sort of use some a scenario that I might understand. So for our yeah. listeners who don't, so... You know, you want a car, you go to a dealership, they find you a lender based on your credit score, your, your, all of that, right? So your app basically replaces that process and lets the consumer find their own, um, uh, their own uh, bank or facility that's going to lend them the money. Is that how it works? It, it depends on the channel, right? In most instances, the way that like uh, uh, getting a loan for a car works is more like through secondary, it's called like uh, uh, indirect lending. So like there's already applications that exist and like, uh, and like vendors that kind of co- connect lenders to borrowers at the dealership. Um, it, they vary where in the US uh, you're located and also what type of lender it's there. But once those, that vendor kind of beams the application to the lender, the lenders themselves are utilizing their own set of systems. And that's kind of what our LOS is. It's one of the systems to which they actually send the applications. But whenever those have, those that plethora of distinct solutions have uh, a lot of, uh, I would say, limitations. And mm-hmm. we kind of uh, do away with those limitations. For example, we enable the lender to tell the dealer that it's, hey, like, this is a, you you applied for five year for a five year loan at this loan to value. You can tell your customer that it, they they are approved up to seven years, and like they can actually buy these extra things. It, it, so giving multi offer is something that like we've been able to do. That is a huge thing in terms of like actually enabling our lenders to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace, right? Because when you apply to a bunch of lenders, uh, and and you just say like I want a five year, ten thousand dollar loan. Most systems are just going to get, tell you yes or no, and this is the rate. With mm-hmm. us, we're, we're able to kind of communicate back, telling them, like, you're going, this is the way you're going to win this deal, and you're going to convince the customer, uh, not by just speaking, but actually showing them an array of opportunities. And that's something that uh, the dealer partners really appreciate uh, from the lenders working for us. Okay. Um, I've been in tech for like 17 years. And uh, been part of a couple of startups. And one of the things that I love about the whole space is not just having an idea, building it and taking it to market. I'm also, I, I really enjoy the failures of, of, of startups and how you can take something that started out as a, as a fail and make it and, and pivot and make it work or, you know, reinvent it. So what was the biggest failure failure for Fuse so far, and how did you impact change in your company? I mean, it's it switching from B two C to B two B could be perceived as a failure, right? Like we, you ultimately had to tell your investors, "Listen, we found a better direction," 
and and this is this is the, the reasons why we want to go in that direction. So, uh, you take a calculated risk, right? Like, uh, and but you need to. It's not you're not a dictator, right? Like you yeah. you you need to be you need to be assertive. But you need to tell them, listen, yes, there's an opportunity of where we were headed, but we think that we have unearthed a much larger opportunity. So in a way, recognizing we were wrong, uh, and now we think we're this is the right path, right? So it's uh. It came in a in a in a cute way, I would say, failure. But it, it is failure at the end of the day, right? Like it, it you, you can, uh, if if you're gonna label it, it's much more accurate to say that yeah, we 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 didn't manage to go in our original path. That's kind of where we were originally headed. Uh, but uh, this is the reason why we 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 change our minds, right? Because one kind of a la Maynard Keynes, right? Like if yeah. when the facts change, you change your mind, and I think that's. Uh, one of the things that like, I appreciate as uh, as a group of founders that we were able to not kid each other of where the real opportunity uh, was waiting for us. Right. So let's talk about this shift from B to B to C to B to B. It's a huge shift, big change. It completely changes the way you you could do business. So mm-hmm. what what led you? Like, okay, so let's talk about the failure. You 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 started out as a B to C. Something happened that led you to go to B2B. So what was it that led you to say, it's time for us to shift and we need to go into the B2B space? And how was how did that shift go? What kind of an impact did it have on your business? Yeah, it, it starts like with uh, a few questions, right? Like folks start asking you, hey, like, how is it that you're processing loans so fast? We've never, or, and, or like just, they praise you with certain things, right? They're like, we never funded anyone as fast as we funded you guys. Your applications are clean, no mistakes. And at first you just take pride of like, oh, we built this very nice thing. And <laughs> then, they, then they ask you, well, uh, who's your vendor for this particular thing? And when you're B2C, you don't want to tell your secret sauce, but then we realize right. it's, it's, as a, it's as if you, you sell hamburgers and everyone just wants to know what ketchup you're using. And then we we were like, hey, are we a ketchup company or are we a burger company? And mm-hmm. and we realized that we were a ketchup company. People just realized that we that and we had to go and tell people we're just gonna sell ketchup, right? It's the same thing here. Uh, we we realized that what we had, though, although uh, we ha- we had built an uh, a promising business on the direct to consumer space, what customers really wanted was the software that we had uh, we had built. And that was much more defensible, long-term contracts. Of course, uh, it doesn't have the virality. Like B2B is not viral, right? it's, it's, or in general, it isn't. And uh, we made a conscious choice that we felt uh, that, uh, that, that there was a market in which we could actually win uh, and win big. Uh, we, there were a lot of dynamics that we liked uh, that made it much more uh, uh, palatable for us as founders too. The, the the B2B sales motion in a way, uh, there's plenty of playbook, playbooks written in that space, whereas consumer, it's hard, right? Like there's CAC, yeah. there's like change algorithms, but the B2B SaaS playbook is quite repeatable. Uh, and if you have the product and a winning product, it's just a matter of like uh, uh, really doing it well and executing it. And I do think that like whenever we were a direct-to-consumer brand, we were very dependent on our ability to make very quick and and and, uh, and uh, convincing appeals on TikTok or Facebook. And the, when you're B2B SaaS, you're betting really on your ability to sell. And uh, I think 
Michael Fund and I feel very comfortable uh, letting the, the future of the company hinge on our ability to con convince others that the product we built is, uh, it, 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 it's great. I think it's, that, it's much harder to do that uh, when you're speaking into the ether on, on social media, so to speak. That's true. But I mean, also marketing is very different yeah. from, from B2C to B2B. Absolutely. So you guys do that shift as well. Yeah, I mean it's it's completely different, right? Like I, yeah. I I was kind of already alluding in the prior uh prior response that like it's it it went from like Facebook and 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 TikTok to like conferences, uh setting like dinners, uh speaking on LinkedIn. It's a very different go-to-market motion, but it kind of lends to to the learnings that we had as as corporate uh, folks before, right? Like I I was an investor for almost ten years of my life, so. I had been in board meetings. Uh, I had been in like M and A transactions. So I got, if, if anything, my day to day was more similar to what I do now for ten years than than what I was doing when, I, when we were doing B two C. I feel much more comfortable uh, trying to work on a complex tech solution than trying to like uh, design a tech campaign. Uh, sorry, a, a marketing campaign to to uh, uh, convey value of like a loan for refi that it just has broad appeal. It, that's, I think like that uh, that's harder because you do actually don't know the person you're speaking with. It's very, uh, it's a generic person. Whereas when uh, on an enterprise has, you actually get to meet them. You get to understand their aspirations. You meet them in person. It, it's very different. And I also think like having those types of conversations with B2, B2B because it's such a, it's a more of a sales oriented company, yeah. right? You're having yeah. conversations. You it also gives you the ability to learn from your potential clients. Has has those conversations led you to change the product in any way? Uh, not necessarily change it, but definitely uh, it, it, it optimize for certain things that like or in in the and and it, it helps validate things too, right? Like obviously it's it's a product that it's uh, the flexibility is paramount, so. If anything, just making sure that that flexibility remains and that we don't put boundaries that like might limit the product that because sometimes you might be tempted to just limit it more and and, and increase the appeal within a, a small subset. So you need to kind of like uh, uh, fine tune in such a way that you always kind of keep that flexibility so that the appeal is as as broad as possible. So are you guys completely out of the B two C business? Yes, completely. I mean, we, we, we have a unique, as I mentioned, we have a unique level of empathy with a customer yeah. and like the lenders because we've used our product. So we can, I can say we, we can speak with a level of, at least my co-founder, it's much more on the marketing side too and product side. He can, he can speak with a new, unique level of authority about like, hey, like we try this because we actually tried it, right? We, we, put, we put a ton of capital behind kind of marketing campaigns. So we know what works and we, what doesn't. We And and that really helps us uh, differentiate ourselves in our go-to-market motion too. So when you started out, did you fund, did you and your uh, founder uh, fund, fund it yourselves or did you start out with VC? Cause I know um, when I was reading your profile that you, there was a, you had an opportunity that you had turned down in, in I believe mm -hmm. it was VC money, right? So how was that experience? Yeah, uh, the first couple months when I uh, when I was just kind of solo before Mark joined, 
I did uh, uh, spend a little bit of my money, but like it's it's not you need to be willing to spend put out some skin in the game. First and foremost, your time, right? Like time is money, so uh, it's not necessarily you need to blow up all your savings, but you need to kind of set goals, right? Like by th month three, I'm going to determine this. By month five, I want to run this test. By month X, I want to have a website. So I had also set a budget that I wanted to spend in order for me to kind of build conviction. Once you build conviction, I think it's it's the right time to raise capital. But I, I but I do not. Th the best, most important thing is that you need to build conviction around your idea in order for you to spend time and ultimately raise capital, right? So for me, it was I wanted to get to a point in which I believed in the idea in order for me to spend the rest of my life if I had to doing it, right? So mm -hmm. that 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 was key. And then yes, we. You're not gonna raise capital for every from every person that give, does offers you money, right? Like you, you, they need to also bring value to the table. Uh, but I think like uh, what you're alluding to is uh, we had the opportunity to go to Y Combinator, and uh, the, given like the 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 stage that the business was at, we decided against uh, going there. Uh, it was one of the hardest decisions we made as founders, uh, but it's something that like uh, looking back, given the information we had, was the best path for us. I mean. In a world with perfect information, I, and now that we're in B two B, if I could go back in time, I would change it. But I—that's assuming okay. I have the information I have today. But at that point, yeah. it, it was crystal clear that that was the right thing to do. So a lot of our listeners are, you know, entrepreneurs or founders or co-founders. They're trying to start something. Um, tell me what it's like to have a founder and a co-founder, and what's your relationship like. I mean, it's probably one of the most re important relationships in your life, aside from your parents and your siblings and your, your loved ones. Uh, you spend so much time with them. Uh, I think it's very important. There's a lot of uh, trust and respect, right? Like you don't necessarily need to be best friends. If anything, it helps not to be like super close because uh, okay. the most important, what the, I would say the most important uh, link you want be between the two of you is hopefully that business. Uh, and it's hard to see a world in which if you're doing this with a loved one, then <laughs> where so if the business is the most important thing you build together, then you're going to ensure the success of that business is paramount uh, to you and you're tied by the hip uh, uh, from that perspective. I think like having complementary talents is very important too. Um, I think for certain businesses you can have overlapping uh, talents, but in general, the the Venn diagram needs to be separated enough that uh, especially since you're going to be splitting ownership of the business that like you both are creating equity value uh, in a way that that it's uh, that is tangible and like equitable to like what the, the amount of input and output that you're generating as as partners and uh, I, I it's it's a it's a long journey right mm -hmm. solo founding it's it, it's it's something that I would not, would have not pursued but it's more a personality thing. There's plenty of data uh, on on the benefits and the pros and cons of uh, having a co-founder and not, and a kind of ideal sizing of how, how many people should actually be in that co-founding team. But at least from from my perspective, I wanted to increase the. You know, this is cliche, but I I actually believe in it. Uh, uh, I think I wanted to increase the chance of success of this business, and I mm -hmm. want and if I wanted to if I if I rather own uh, something that has value down the road than like 100% of something that this is zero, right? So 
I, I, I splitting it, the ownership between a co-founder and also bringing investors was just my appetite for adding, uh, increasing our odds of, uh, of getting to the finish line. So one of the questions I get asked a lot is when you have a co-founder and founder relationship or co-co, how do you handle conflict? If you don't agree on yeah. something, do you guys have I mean, a process for that? Yeah, you can, you can, first and foremost, you have, you can have distinct equity ownerships. You can have distinct voting rights or even like, uh, as long as you kind of have something written and mm -hmm. that it, that you can actually, uh, uh, fall back if you, if you ever get to that point, it's very, that's very, that's why it's so important to kind of either legal frameworks or like codes of conduct and things like that that you commit, uh, of course, there's, there's also a component of like gentleman's agreement uh, between him and I, but it's good to just put like actual frameworks, right? Like it's, uh, I, do rem I do remember people uh, telling me about the benefits of a prenup and you're never going to love uh, your partner as much as you do before you get married. That's true. So, so that a prenup, in the same way as founder, you kind of, you can create like the equivalent of prenups in such a way that like when there's disagreement, you, yeah. you can, you create a framework for uh, disagree respectfully. Uh, but that's kind of an extreme case, right? In, in, yeah. in, I would say in general, it's, I've never run into the issue of uh, now not agreeing with him. It's, uh, if you get to that point, you have bigger problems, I would say. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, time is running out. I feel like we just started. But um, if you had one piece of advice to give to uh, a co-founder who's in a similar position as you, what, like, based on everything that you've learned from your own experience, what would it be? Of course, like, picking a good co-founder is key. Like, I think <laughs> we were learning on that. Uh, and, like, have a very uh, distinct view on, like, how do you want to grow this business? I think... Uh, understanding that you and your co-founder, uh, if 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 you're here to, uh, to build a lifestyle business or you're trying to build like a different, that, that is a very important question. Like, mm -hmm. why don't your motivations to be a, a founder, right? And if you're misaligned on that, you're you're bound to fail pretty quickly because uh, a lifestyle business is very different than like a venture back business. Mm -hmm. And 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 if that if there's a fundamental disagreement on that the sooner rather than later, you're going to figure that out. So aligning on terms of like, how do you think about capitalizing that business? What type of vision you want? What, what do you want to get out of uh, building this business is, is, is very important. Uh, and down the road, once like the business has gone from idea to actual execution, like really think about culture because you're going to have to hire folks down the road too. And like, how do you, that, that same way that you set the rules with your co-founder in terms of like lifestyle business, or a high type A type of business, it, it, it's, it's very different. So that, that's kind of the one that comes to mind right now. Okay, so we are coming to the end. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they have questions or they just want to connect? Uh, LinkedIn is the best. Uh, I, I, I try to respond to everyone that reaches out and like uh, that that's usually the best path. Okay. so. Um, we are coming to the end. So thank you, Andres, for uh, the invaluable words of wisdom, uh, wisdom you uh, shared with us today. Your journey and your story with Fuse are truly uh, inspiring. And I'm sure our listeners will take a lot of uh, a lot from your experience and insights. 
To our listeners, I hope today's episode has inspired you. Remember, the future belongs to those who embrace change and innovation with tenacity. Keep striving, keep innovating, and most importantly, stay tenacious in your pursuits. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to bringing you more inspiring conversations in our upcoming episodes. This is Sonia signing off, but as always, remember to chase your your dreams with tenacity.